1: learning life lessons in the dunkin donuts line and then do we believe that god is still doing more than we could ever ask or imagine you're listening to the common good happy friday friends welcome to the common good here on am 1160 hope for your life my name is brian Fromm. so glad to have you with us On this Friday afternoon, Super Bowl weekend, we're moving into Super Bowl weekend. Many of you, you're going to have parties, you're going to do that, but you might just also be looking forward to just a restful and relaxing time at home over the Super Bowl. Whatever it is that you are doing, we hope that you have a great weekend. My two younger kids are heading off on a winter retreat with our church as you know if you listen to this show at all my oldest daughter is is studying abroad in tunisia right now hearing from her every day is just like a lifeline it's just like it's awesome and she's she's thriving already so we're praying that that continues so my wife and i going out on a date tonight after the show we're going to go out on a date after we drop the two uh off to go to the retreat and uh going to enjoy some time together before the kids come back and we enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday, I would encourage you head to church this weekend, right? Make church a priority. Like so often right now, we treat church, the gathered worship on Sunday morning as kind of a, ah, if I feel like it, ah, maybe. There's a saying that I love, I forget who made it, but there's a saying that I love that Sunday morning church is a Saturday night choice. When you go to bed on Saturday, choose definitively, hey, I'm going to church this week. Uh, I'll be uh, in church. And then uh, go. Go and do it. But I want to start somewhere. Uh, I want to start in the Dunkin' Donuts line today. If you know me at all, you know... I am a regular visitor of Dunkin' Donuts for one thing and one thing only. Very occasionally, I'll get a donut. But some of you love Dunkin' Donuts for their donuts. Some of you love Dunkin' Donuts for their uh, coffee. There's a lot of Dunkin' Donuts coffee people. For me, it's one thing and one thing only. It is a large unsweetened iced tea. I'm a regular consumer of the unsweetened iced tea love to go through the drive-thru in fact i go through the drive-thru by our church so often to get a dunkin donuts iced tea that a couple months ago uh i hadn't been there in a couple days and i went through and the lady behind the counter or in the drive-thru line said oh you haven't been here in a while i went oh okay they know me and another time uh i was uh, trying to order, and she's like, oh, we know what you get. I'm like Norm from Cheers when it comes to the local Dunkin' Donuts. But uh, I was driving my daughter to school the other day, and she was like, hey, Dad, can we leave a little early and get Dunkin' Donuts app? You don't have to ask me twice. And so uh, we did the one up by our house. We drove through the drive-thru. We went. We were going to drive through the drive-thru. I'm getting my large unsweetened iced tea. Emily is getting her vanilla iced coffee, whatever, right? whatever it is. We pull up, and uh, when I pull in, it's it's the morning, so the line is long. The drive-through line is long. Now, it's not so long that I had to leave. I was like, oh, we could do this. We got her to school on time because we left early. But here's what struck me about the culture we live in. The line at Dunkin' Donuts was probably – 12 cars deep, 10 to 12 cars deep. And there was one car parked inside to go inside and order. This happens at Starbucks all the time in the morning. The Starbucks line will be off to the road, but nobody will be inside. Like we are now more than ever before a drive through culture. Uh, down by our church. You also know that I love to go to Panera by our church. There was a perfectly functioning Panera in essentially a strip mall. They closed that Panera because they built one within eyesight of the old one because they wanted it to be standalone primarily or almost exclusively so that they could put a drive-through in it. We are a drive-through culture. We will wait Longer in the drive through than if then park and go in. This happens at McDonald's. You see it everywhere. And uh, this isn't ending. More things are getting drive throughs, not less. What does that say about us as a people or me as a person? I, I wait in the drive through and if it's really long, I'll go in. But um, some of you out there, you'll never go in. It's always the drive through So I, I do want to ask that. I was sitting in line at Dunkin' Donuts going, what does this say about us that really I could park my car and go in and get my drink probably a whole lot faster than if I stay in this line? But all of us stayed in that line. Does that say something about us as a culture? Oh, I think it does. I think it says this gets back to our value on convenience, our value on comfort. I'd rather sit in my warm car listening to the radio or a podcast or whatever than have to get out, go to a counter, order, wait, and then come out. We are increasingly a culture of convenience. Guilty as charged. Like I told you, I waited in the drive through line. But now I want to ask you a more difficult question convenience, comfort. What does that do when mixed with our faith? When our faith is not convenient, it is not comfortable. I will give you one very specific thing it does to our faith. It is what I already talked about a little bit earlier. I don't really feel like going to church today. I'd rather... Stay home, watch it on TV. Watch it. uh, Watch the live stream. That's a answer for many of us of convenience. Some of it, it's a health issue, but for many of us, that's a decision of convenience. Gosh, if I go to church, I gotta deal with people, and I gotta drive there. In part, you know, all of these reasons, and I think convenience and comfort is one of the things that has hurt church attendance. Ah, it's not convenient or comfortable to read my Bible. want a day off, tired, convenience and comfort become reasons not to do that. See, things like confession, things like repentance, things like warring against sin, things like evangelism, things like discipleship, these are not fast food, drive-through, convenient, comfortable things. And I fear in our churches, that as we continue to minister and live in in cultures of convenience and cultures of comfort, that we're losing something for our faith. And you might think I'm overplaying it, but think that out. Tease that out. How does that play out in our lives? Don't get me wrong. Wait in the drive through line. This is not telling you not to wait in the drive through line. But when we bring the value of convenience and comfort into our churches, into our faith, into our relationships, I just want to pose the question, what does that do? What's the result to be Christian in a convenience, comfort uh. Fast. We want everything done now, right? We're a microwave society as well. How does that play out? Food for thought. Give it some thought. Consider it. Uh, Give it some thought this weekend. Uh, Happy Super Bowl weekend. There's always a sadness to Super Bowl weekend, and it's this there won't be any more meaningful, real football until September. I get it. There's these leagues like the USFL or what, but I mean like real football, the NFL regular season. It gets a long time. Like we, we go from September till this weekend and like football, 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 football. Uh, but then it goes away. So we can also, uh, we can grieve a little bit together and wait for baseball season. See, thankfully, I'm a big baseball fan. So baseball season is coming. And uh, yeah, we're glad for that. So uh, my life is very busy right now because we are in the midst of merging churches with another church in the Downers Grove area. Uh, Long story short, for the last 14 years since Four Corners Community Church started, we have been meeting in a warehouse. And the warehouse has been great. But As it tends to happen when you rent places, the rent is going up and up and up and up. And our elders just got to the point where we're like, we can't afford this. Okay, we can't afford this. And so that got us looking all over the place and what kind of the doors that God seems to have been opening along the way is and continues to be um, this merger with another church called Downers Grove Community Church. Uh, There's, you know, they have staffing needs when, because their pastor is retiring. We have building needs. They have a wonderful building. Uh, They do great outreach. We have lots of kids. Like there's a, there's a symbiotic relationship that seems to fit, but it's super complicated. And it is super, it feels like for every one decision you make that opens the door to five more. Okay. So it could be overwhelming and it can, you can lose sight as to why you're doing it. And so whatever you're doing in your life right now, Christ follower, at your church, in your home, at your work, whatever else it might be, I want to challenge you with a verse that I've been challenged with and that I've been praying and I've been telling our church that we've been praying ever since we started this process. Ephesians chapter three, let me start in verse 19, but I really want to hone in on 20 and 21. who is able let's start pause it we're going to walk let's just walk through this verse to him that being God, to him who is able to do, do we still believe God's at work? It's about to say how much he's at work but to say who is able to do is is a statement that says God is at work. He is doing things. he is active. He cares about your life. He cares about what this church is doing. He cares about these things. Do you believe that God is still at work? Do you believe he's at work in your life, that he cares? Do you believe he's at work in and through the church? To him who is able to do, what's he doing? Immeasurably, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I love that word, immeasurably, that phrase, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That God is not only doing, but he's doing more than we could ever comprehend. He is doing more than we could ever. Think about that phrase. God is doing more. He has the power to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Do we believe uh, that God is still doing more than we could ever ask or imagine? What do you think about that? He's doing more than we could ever ask or imagine. And then it keeps going. Because what does that look like? Well, it's according to his power that is at work within us. Pause. How powerful is God? It's incomprehensible. But this verse is saying that there is power of God at work within us, within us. Power to heal, power to convict, but also power to make life change in other people, to bring about eternal things in other people. He's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. It's all about his glory. We do this so that his name is glorified. His name is magnified. His name is extolled. It's about Jesus. I think we can get such small views of what God is doing in our world. Hey, we're merging churches just so that we have a church to building to be in and they have a church staff and like, okay, it's, it's expedient. It makes sense. And now we have a church. No, I want to have a bigger view of this. If we do this and we can make this and we believe that God's going to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine to reach the community around us, to grow us as a people like God's doing immeasurably more. How about in your family? Do you believe that God can do immeasurably more in your marriage? Maybe you're struggling right now. Do you believe God can do immeasurably more than all that you ask or imagine? Do you believe that that's still the case? Because if we believe it, we will pray for it. Dear Lord, please do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. That's my prayer. That has been my prayer Uh, For this new church that we're forming, that has been my prayer now for my life. As I send my daughter, as I sent my daughter over to study abroad, Lord, would you do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in and through her as she's gone? As I send my kids off to high school, whatever else. What would the result be if the church was regularly praying, God, do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. Do you believe God's power is at work within you? Do you believe he's still living and active, present and active? And do you believe his power does immeasurably more than I could? I can imagine some big things. I don't always believe them, but I can imagine some big things. He's saying God can do more than you could ever imagine in your church, in your workplace, in your family, in your life. Make Ephesians uh, chapter three, verses 20 and 21, a prayer for your life. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Uh, In my home, uh, My wife and I, she's been away a lot, as you know, and now she's home. But now my two youngest kids, they're heading off on the high school winter retreat that our church puts on going up to Wisconsin. It's interesting because, you know, the winter retreat is normally full of snow, full of every full of ice. It's it's a winter activities, but it's really warm outside And uh, so I think it's going to be a mud pit, but they're going to have a blast and come back tired. It's also Super Bowl weekend. So hopefully you have some fun plans ahead of you uh, for the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, I just hope it's a good game. Right. The Chiefs, the 49ers. I don't have a real vested interest in either of them. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And then, as we said earlier in the show. The sadness of the end of football and not no real football to speak of for another seven months. It will sit in, set in. But baseball season is coming. Let's go, Mets. We're ready for baseball season to arrive. All right. I want to circle back to a story that we talked about multiple times last week. I may have had some strong opinions on that, and that is this Fox News freelance op ed about Wheaton College. That called the school, quote, woke. It said the Harvard of the Christian schools is going woke. And uh, if you missed some of my commentary on that, you can go get that at the podcast. But I'm a proud alumnus of Wheaton College, uh, both undergrad and grad school. My family is very, you know, has a lot of Wheaton ties, all of this stuff. And so I did take this a little personal. Now I haven't been in the college in any meaningful ways uh, involved in the college in 20 years or so, but I find it really hard to believe because I know many of the professors. I know administrators over on campus. I find it very hard to believe that there's been this substantive change to who Wheaton is and what they believe in. And I also mentioned the other day that, that, One of the great dangers, not just about this article or for Wheaton, but in general in the Christian world, is that we've begun to use as the ultimate trump card, the ultimate weapon, this word, quote, woke. I challenged a lot of you. What do you mean when you say that word? Define it. Write it out. Write out a definition of what you mean, because it's become just this catch-all phrase that means different things for different people, but it's a weapon. Like, A, it gets people to click on stuff, but B, it's like the scarlet letter now in, in conservative Christian evangelicalism. Uh, it's, it's now the, the red W that somebody has to walk around with, and it says, don't listen to that person. Steer clear of that school, whatever else it might be. The bigger point is people know what they're doing when they tag the word woke. And I think it's lazy, and I think it's dangerous. But I want to circle back to this story because the president of Wheaton College, Phil Reichen, who I told you is as conservative theologically as they come, go read his bio. Uh, he responded to this Fox News op ed uh, it says here, I'm reading from online, it says, while the Fox News article claims the college is straying from its, quote, orthodox Christian moorings, Reichen said in a statement that the school remains fully committed, quote, to biblical orthodoxy and Christ-centered education, including in matters of human sexuality, gender identity, and race relations. Reichen also took aim at the author's journalism, saying, quote, the mischaracterization post the mischaracterizing post seems to be cobbled from out of context items found on the internet the author does not name any sources or give any citations for his many contentions i pointed that out when we discussed this article it seemed like it was just hearsay and there was never quotes let alone quotes from people from wheaton uh but it was just hey this happened in 2017 hey this happened last year and not setting any context. Now the author of the article, Tim uh, Scheiterer, defended himself on Twitter. He said the Fox news opinion team reviewed my sources and vetted them for accuracy. He added that Franklin Graham was one of his sources. That is one of the least surprising things I've read all day. Uh, But he said that Franklin Graham was uh, in fact, one of his sources friends. I think, uh, the reason I keep circling back to this article, A, I'm very glad that Phil Reichen and the team at Wheaton College responded, but you're either going to believe them or you're not. Uh, you're either going to believe this guy's op-ed where it's light on sources and feels like a hit piece uh, to get clicks, or you're not. I mean, th- that's just kind of what it comes down to, and this is what I I struggle with about journalism in general, but in the Christian sphere. like. It's an op-ed. The guy can write whatever he wants, but then it starts traveling around the Internet. It starts traveling around. I can't tell you how many people shared it to me because they know that I'm, in, that I'm connected to Wheaton College, either by text or Facebook or email. What's going on with your college? What's happening over there? And I I'm, I'm found myself defending the college. But I appreciate as an alumnus, Phil Reichen coming out, the president of school, going, no, nothing's changed here. You know, nothing's changed. And I would also say this to recap something that we said the other day. um, College is supposed to be the place where you wrestle with things. College is supposed to be the place where your faith is strengthened partially through questioning and debating. And wrestling with the hard topics like that's what a liberal arts education is supposed to be about. Like, I don't think that we should be people who are just trying to hand all the answers to our college kids and say, you must believe this or you're woke. You must believe that because they're going to leave college and then they're going to go, wait a minute. What do I think? But instead, my opinion is you want to have them under the teaching, under the umbrella of good biblical orthodox professors and administration wrestling with these topics. But this this op-ed guy clearly thinks differently and wants to pick out a couple things that maybe were said by Wheaton or that maybe he took out of context or maybe actually happened And brand an entire institution with the large W of woke. So grateful that Wheaton came out and kind of stood up for themselves, kind of set the record straight. But many people are not going to believe it. And that's fine. This is the Christian world that we live in. We brand people with the W. You're woke, you're woke, you're woke. And that means that's the first step in the evangelical world, the conservative evangelical world to cancel culture to being canceled. You're woke. I will not listen to you. You're dangerous. Gosh, what are we so afraid of out there? Let's have conversations. Let's dive into the gray. Let's debate and wrestle and come out the other side, believing that all truth is God's truth and we can we we're, Our faith is going to come out stronger. Our, our students' faith is going to come out stronger on the other side. So grateful for Wheaton. I have no doubts personally that it is what it's always been and still stands for Christ in his kingdom. And, uh, yeah, I think the change has come on the conservative end of evangelicalism. As I said, not surprised to see Franklin Graham's name linked on there and, uh, it is what it is. Maybe you got big plans for tonight, or maybe you're the thing you're wanting to do is to just put on sweatpants and your favorite sweatshirt and just sit and relax after a hard week of work. Whatever it is that you're doing, we hope that you have a great weekend. Hey, and if you've missed any of our show this week, go get that podcast, wherever it is, you get your podcast, just subscribe, rate, review. I want to end by talking about two particular women who have been. In the news, almost more than anybody else lately. The first, are you aware of uh, the women's basketball player out of the University of Iowa named Caitlin Clark? Caitlin Clark uh, is a phenomenon right now that transcends women's sports. It almost, it pretty much transcends college sports. Uh, Her games are all on the on TV, but also um, you see her in commercials. Their people the, the price of tickets to go to Iowa games f- is b- bigger than men's games right now. I read somewhere that her game last night, people were paying over $1,000 for courtside tickets to see them play Penn State. Like, it's craziness. It's a, it's a phenomenon that is different than has really happened in women's sports, so women's basketball at least, before. Like, she's caught the... Um, the imagination and the interest of even non-basketball fans. And so why do I bring up Caitlin Clark? I read this great article about a lot of the backlash going on towards Caitlin Clark, particularly from other people, coaches and people in women's college basketball, but also people who have been women's basketball stars in the past in the WNBA or whatever. And it's one thing to say Hey, just slow down. Let this girl just kind of be a college player. Let her figure it out when she gets to the pros next year, whatever else it might be. But no, this is like like taking digs at her. Like, for instance, this week, Cheryl Swoops, who's one of the most famous women's basketball players of the last generation, made some comments about how much Caitlin Clark shoots and how much she's going to struggle and all of this. And then when some people ran the actual numbers, Almost everything Cheryl Swoop said was wrong factually, but it's caused a lot of people to go, why this backlash? Why this backlash? Other than the fact that this is what we do when we build people up, we tend to tear them down. So table file that one away, Caitlin Clark, because I think you can add on top of that uh, all that's going on with Taylor Swift. Uh, Taylor Swift is everywhere. She's going to be a major part of the Super Bowl coverage this weekend because she's, as we all know by now, dating Travis Kelsey. She's, uh, she, she will be there. But basically, anything Taylor Swift touches right now kind of turns to gold. Uh, Google the, what's happening with, uh, well, let's, what's her name? There's the guy on the 49ers, a fullback named Kyle Yuschev. His wife created some, uh, jackets taylor swift wore one to a game and now it's going gangbusters because taylor swift wore it taylor swift is the time person of the year for 2023 she's highly successful and as best i uh, you can read from at least most people who write about her who know her she seems like a genuinely good person i'm not gonna hold her up to some angel i have no idea but there isn't some scandals hanging back there. She seems like a good person, but now there's a segment of our population that has held her up as a political operative and other people who are just, I'm sick of her. And they kind of are tearing her down. So I want to take these two people. And I think there are different, right? We t- we, we raise up celebrities, we tear them down. We, we think that Uh, We get tired of hearing about people. These are all kind of human nature. But I think at the heart of especially the Caitlin Clark story is something that goes back to the beginning of time. And that's jealousy. It's jealousy. I think the reason you're hearing former WNBA players, former college stars talking about Caitlin Clark in derogatory terms is because they didn't get this attention. They didn't get the commercials. College basketball, women's college basketball has come a long way. Caitlin Clark's going to have notoriety and money that they never had, even though they were stars. And so I think this is jealousy. I think the same could be said about Taylor Swift. She's a billionaire. So I think you see jealousy And friends, that's where I wanted to close the show tonight. I want to remind us biblically uh, of the dangers of jealousy. The dangers of jealousy. Like when we get so worked up about maybe what somebody else has. um, Or, you know, I could think about it in the church world. It's. You look up the street uh, and and you see somebody who's got the bigger church, more people, more notoriety. And you could become, instead of celebrating them and going, that's awesome. Yay! To God's glory. You instead um, just get worked up. And this is what we do. We get jealous. But the Bible has a lot of things to say about jealousy. The book of Job says, Uh, surely vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple first Corinthians three for you are still on of the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. First Corinthians famously 13, the love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy James 3 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Proverbs 14 says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. The Bible is clear, friends. Jealousy, envy, is it rots us. It's not of God. It is antith- antithetical to the things of God. It is part of our human nature. And so where we feel jealousy, we have to go, that's a red flag. That's dangerous. I must repent of it and figure out what's going in my own soul. You might have jealousy of another family member, maybe the, the success they've attained or the attention they receive. You might have, as a pastor, I might have jealousy of another church or of a radio show or whatever. You might have jealousy of somebody in your office or, some, or of some, you know what a lot of us say, we end up with jealousy of some other family situation. Oh, that marriage or those kids or the, how big their house is or whatever else. There's a million things we can get jealous of, but jealousy, jealousy, it rots us from the inside. It makes us discontent. Friends, if you're a jealous person or if you can earmark certain things you're jealous about, I would ask you this question. What's going on in your soul? Why are you feeling that way? And then repent. Confess. And figure out how to live not jealous, but being able to celebrate. Can you celebrate the victories of your friends or your coworkers or your neighbors or your family members? Or does it only be about you and bring about envy in your life? What's going on that is bringing out the fruit of jealousy and envy? Repent of that, confess of that, don't let that control you. Well, glad that you've been with us this week. Come back again on Monday at 4 o'clock as we start a new week. Until then, enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a wonderfully relaxing weekend. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.